Welcome to the Maris Review. I'm Maris Kreisman, and it is such a delight to be joined by Ashley C. Ford today. She's a writer, host, and educator who lives in Indianapolis, Indiana with her husband, poet and fiction writer, Kelly Stacy, and their chocolate lab, Astro Renegade Ford Stacy. And her debut memoir is called Somebody's Daughter. And it is such a pleasure to have you here, Ashley. It is my pleasure to be here, Maris. This is such a dream for me and an honor to be on the Maris Review. I'm <laughs> so like excited. We met on Tumblr, right? So that was yes. a long time ago now. Yeah, and it would have been like 2012, 2013. It was, yeah, <laughs> a while ago. And, and it, it was funny for me, knowing bits and pieces about your life from your writing and your social media and from seeing you IRL when I was lucky. Um, but I, I, I hadn't heard the whole story, of course. Um, I remember reading about, I remember reading when your father was released from prison in 2017, mm -hmm. you, you had an essay in Refinery29. Yes. Tell me about writing that and then thinking about how to make a book out of it or, or if you would want to. Well, I've been working on the book for since like 2010. Um, in pieces here and there. Uh, I, you know, I had to build up my confidence to really be able to call it a book and really understand what I was putting together. But yeah, it was 2010 when I started. In 2017, when I wrote that essay, you know, quite, a, I had already finished a first draft of the book. There was like a lot of it done. And then all of a sudden, everything was different because my dad was released. Mm -hmm. And just having that be the case, I wondered, you know, like, can I write about this? Like, does it make sense to write about it? And I realized that I could, and it did. It, it just required at the time, um, a certain amount of honest presence. Like I had to be able to be honest about what was happening right then at that moment. Um, and it's such a different hard. thing to be able to do like in your head versus, I mean, that's hard enough to, to right. and then, and then to get it down on paper is a whole other thing. Yes. But it's also, you know, it's, um, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's hard if you want to write about resolutions or if you want to have things that tie up nicely sure. in the end. Um, and that just, for me, wasn't like the point of writing it. And what I really wanted to write was the meaning, the meeting of these two um, moments, which is like having written the book, having this idea of my dad in my head, and then having to meet the, the person who I had imagined. Like what's, What's interesting to me in that is not necessarily the like what happened before or the what happened after. It's like, what is that moment? Yeah. What is that mo What is that moment um, of those two joined experiences? Yeah. After the emotionally draining year we all endured in 2020, there seem to be positive things on the horizon in 2021. It's time to take what we learned in 2020 and start heading in a new direction. That's why instead of just celebrating a month of mental health awareness, it should be our priority all year long. 
take the first step with online therapy. I don't know where I would have been without my online therapist this year. And I know that my husband feels the same about me and my therapist. Um, so, so thank you. Talkspace is the number one online therapy platform that has thousands of licensed therapists trained in over 40 specialties, including anxiety, depression, relationships, and more. Your therapist can help you set and achieve your goals. Talkspace is a fraction of the cost of in-person therapy. Instead of waiting for an appointment, you can send unlimited messages to your therapist 24-7 and then engage with you daily, five days a week. As a listener of this podcast, you'll get $100 off your first month with Talkspace. To match with a licensed therapist today, go to Talkspace.com. Make sure to use the code MARISREVIEW to get $100 off of your first month and show your support for the show. That's MARISREVIEW and Talkspace.com. And you you write about how throughout your life, you, you got letters from your father um, and you visited him in prison a couple of times, but how do you create a relationship out of those very loaded couple of hours that like you both have such high expectations and everything that you say to each other must feel so loaded. It is, but that forces a surrender, you know, in a certain sense. I think we were both really aware that we were coming to this moment with a lot of ideas about each other and, and no real sense of reality. Um, not really. And because of that, it's like, well, then what do you do when you meet a person who is your child or your parent, but it's the first time you're really meeting each other in 30 years, um, you just show up completely as yourself, like as much as you can. You show up with as much honesty and authenticity as you can, because there's this sense that like, you just don't have time to fuck around. You just don't have time to bullshit. So you just wanna be as real as possible right away with compassion and with kindness, but with clarity. And you do that work in your memoir over, it it seems like you talk about going to therapy, um, Mm -hmm. a a lot of different places and um, thinking about how you, the stories you tell yourself and um, the beliefs that you hold that you either do or don't want to change. Um, tell me about you know being in that moment and um, and writing about it. Being in that moment was so many things at once because you realize that yes, not only am I having this moment with my dad, you know, but this is also the first time his sister has seen him in over a decade. This is the first time my mother has seen him in two decades, maybe longer. This is, you know, my brother's coming. This will be the first time my brother has seen him since he was 11 years old. You know, like it's all of those things are happening at the same time. And I'm trying to focus or, or simply have a handle on just my experience. And that is hard. That is really, really hard. 
And it's also really beautiful because I didn't have to be in that experience alone. You know, my mom came with me when I went to see my dad um, after he had gotten out of prison. And, you know, my mom up until that point had not even, I think, spoken to my dad in like almost 15 years. And so having those people around me who understood the weight of this moment, if the, even if they couldn't understand the personal weight I was carrying, but they understood the, the weight of this moment, it just, not feeling alone was so important. So as hard as it was, as much as like, it was difficult to have that shared experience, it was also really beautiful and connected me, I feel like even more to my family. I love that. And, and you write so vividly and honestly about your family. Yeah. And, and I'm wondering, let's step back. You write so vividly about your childhood in general and, and the stories you told yourself. And tell me about placing yourself back there and accessing memories from childhood and, and, and really thinking about, th there's a point in the book where you talk about what memories you choose to keep as if you had control over that. Sometimes it felt like I did, you know? Mm. I was convinced as a kid that you could control which memories you keep and which ones you don't. I know that that is not true now, um, but at the time I really thought when I took the time to stop and try to make a memory, that that's exactly what I was doing. Like I thought that I was making like a little stamp on my brain that would never go away and I would be able to keep this moment forever. Um, sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. But it was really about keeping a connection, I guess, to my child self. I brought this up a couple of times in like interviews that um, I grew up, you know, we're about the same age. And I grew up on the kind of media and specifically media that was focused on children that was always about the fact that the worst, cruelest, most, most evil adults were that way because they had lost their connection to their child self. So many TV shows and movies, that was the moral of the story, was that this adult had lost the connection to their child self, to who they were, to who they remembered, like, what, what used to give them passion, what used to give them joy, what used to give them love. And then they suffered some disappointments in one way or another and decided to cut themselves off from that child part of themselves. And then they turned into mean and cruel adults. <laughs> yeah. And I was terrified that I would become a mean and cruel adult. I was terrified that I would become Scrooge. I was terrified <laughs> that I would become Captain Hook. I was terrified that I would become these people, these adults who couldn't remember what it was like to be a child and so made monsters out of children. And because I didn't wanna be that way, I thought the only way to keep myself from that would be to remember. 
and to hold on to not just the memory of what happened, but the memory of how it felt. Because even in moments with my mom where I thought she was being cruel or I thought she was being, you know, um, uh, unduly punishing, my thought in my head as a kid always was that she can't remember what it's like to be a kid. She can't remember like how hard it is. She doesn't remember, you know, that we don't have all the answers and that we don't always know the right thing to say in a given situation. And believing that I think is what made me this way. And so it was going back into childhood was not that hard um, because I think I, I had held on to some really tight bonds to my child self. Um, it was when I went back and had to like find compassion for my child self in places where I had not offered it before. Mm. That's where it got difficult. That's where it got really difficult. Ashley, tell me, how did you, not physically, but sort of physically, hold on to these memories? Like how, did you keep a journal? Is, was it something you just thought to yourself? You talk about photos a lot in the book and I was a little sad not to be able to see them, but I can see how they made an impression on you. Um, you know, which is funny because my, I didn't come from a very, uh, my mom's not a photo taking person. Right. So I don't really have a lot of pictures of myself as a, a child or as a young person, because that's just not her thing. Um, and it never has been. So the way that I held on to a lot of these memories and moments was through music. Hmm. Um, my mom, while she is not, uh, you know, a, a mom who takes a lot of pictures, she was a mom who played a lot of music all the time. Every, like if we're in the car, the radio is on. There's no such thing as radio off in the car. If we're in the house, there's, and my mom is like cleaning or is doing anything else around the house, there's a good chance there's music playing. If there's a family gathering, there's music playing. If I'm just in my room alone, I am probably listening to music. So there are a lot of songs that bring me back to moments of my child self because what I would do is have something happen to me or have something going on. And the easiest way for me to feel relief or to feel like I could get away from that moment would be to just sit and listen to music, listen to the radio, listen to you know some of my first little cds or tapes that i borrowed from people or from the library you know like just sit and listen to music and i found music was a pretty great entry point um tell me about me. some of your some of the most comforting or most evocative um songs albums well you know i talk quite a bit about kenny Loggins <laughs> and that has that, and you know, there's more about that in the book and in um, <laughs> other places where I've written about it. But Kenny Loggins has um, a CD called Return to Pooh Corner, and it's all lullabies um, or songs from popular children's movies um, that he sings. And that album used to help me go to sleep 
And it also just made me feel like weirdly comforted when I was anxious or when I was just having a hard time. It just became an incredibly soothing touch point for me. So I listened to that album a lot. And I also listened to, there's a second one called uh, Come Back to Pooh Corner or something like that. <laughs> sure. That also has a Coo bunch of songs corner. that, uh, yeah, it's like, it's just all the poos and corners. Um, <laughs> sounds like New York, no. Um, mm. So we, uh, yeah, I love that. I love both of those albums. My dad and I, um, I was lucky to get the, the opportunity to uh, have my dad at my wedding. And, you know, he walked me down the aisle and we did a dance together. And we danced to um, a Kenny Loggins uh, song, but it's from a movie and it's called Always and Always. Um, and it's really, you know, it was, it was a big moment for us. So there's stuff like that, you know, that felt like a real um, full circle moment. Another album that uh, <laughs> that will always make me have just uh, a ton of feelings, and I, I can't believe I'm going to say this out loud, but I'm just going to, is the first tape I ever bought with my own money, uh, which was uh, Savage Garden. Sure. <laughs> the Savage Garden um, self-titled album that I own. <laughs> and um, a lot of those songs to this day, like I, I just, at the time, I was just like, this is so like, this, this out, like they feel me. <laughs> they feel me on the inside, me and Savage Garden. And I was like 11. And so me and Savage Garden were not feeling each other the way I thought we were. But that album also uh, does a lot for me. Um, specifically the song To The Moon And Back, I really liked. I love it. With HelloFresh, you get fresh, pre-measured ingredients and mouth-watering seasonal recipes delivered right to your door. Skip trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. And that's why it's America's number one meal kit. HelloFresh cuts out stressful meal planning and grocery store trips, so you can enjoy cooking and get to dinner on the table in about 30 minutes or less. HelloFresh offers 25 plus recipes to choose from each week, from vegetarian meals to craft burgers and extra special gourmet options. There's something for everyone to enjoy with all recipes designed and tested by professional chefs and nutritional experts to ensure deliciousness and simplicity. In my household, my husband is the one who makes dinner. I know I'm lucky. And um, it's such a joy to get HelloFresh delivered and have all of the ingredients measured out and ready to be cooked. Uh, our favorite is the pork chop with root vegetables and Brussels sprouts. It's delicious and it works really well for my low carb diet because I'm diabetic. Uh, so really something for everyone. Go to HelloFresh.com slash MarisReview12 and use code MarisReview12 for 12 free meals, including free shipping. That's HelloFresh.com slash MarisReview12. Use code MarisReview12 for 12 free meals, including free shipping. One of the things I, I did want to ask you about was you start the book with your mom saying, just remember, you can always come home. And it's, mm -hmm. it's a real like, no way. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and, you know, I, I met you and Kelly when you lived in New York City. 
-hmm. And the first line in your bio is you're back in Indianapolis. Yeah. Tell me about that. Tell me about moving back. You know, um, Indiana has never stopped feeling like home. I feel like New York, Brooklyn specifically, was better to me than most, <laughs> to be perfectly honest. Like I had a fat, like given everything that could have gone poorly, the way things worked out for me in Brooklyn was just beyond what I had expected, beyond what I thought was even available to me. Um, I just had an amazing time, but I never felt like I was home and I couldn't make it feel like home. I tried, I tried, I tried. It is very, it's odd to be in a place where you can count all the reasons why it makes sense to stay and your heart just is like, this isn't working for you. It's not, you know, one of the things that I lament about my time in New York is just that because of my social anxiety and some of like my, um, some of my weird little, you know, uh, sensation that like all kinds of things that, that are just, I found out about myself while I was there. Um, it made it really hard to socialize. And I'm actually a very social person, um, but I struggled when I lived in New York um, to socialize and not to make friends. I wouldn't say that, but to actually go places and like to people's parties, to people's get togethers. It's like the crowds and, and sort of like the crush of the room. I just couldn't handle it in a lot of cases. It was really hard for me. Um, in Indiana, there's a little more space. <laughs> um, and I feel like from here, I could, I, I'm almost a better friend to my friends in New York from here than I was when I was there. And it's important to me to sort of give myself what I need so that I can be who I want to be in the world. And the, I'm, I'm in the, the dirt and the sky and the trees here. Like this is just home and it's where I live. I love it. And I, but I also, one of the things that I love about you is how comfortable you make people feel. And so, right. <laughs> I mean, and that's, if that's your big secret, <laughs> I mean, and you do just like I'm doing now, you do so many different kinds of interviews and um, you really have a gift of getting people to open up to you. Yeah. And I yeah, just, I agree know. with that. I mean, and I, I love that. Right. That's where, I'm, but it's always, you know, how you get people to open up to you one-on-one, one-on-one, <laughs> -on -one. like that's how you get people to open up. That's when I am at my best, that's when I feel most like myself. Um, even in friendship, you know, it is so important to me that my friends know that they are safe with me, you know, because I'm not the person who's gonna text you every day. 
There's nobody I text every day. <laughs> like just nobody in the world <laughs> who I text every day. I'm not the person, you know, who's necessarily going to remember every date, you know, and, and, and be able to like hold myself to that. I got ADHD. I do my best, but it's hard, right? <laughs> but I am a person who you can confidently sit across from and know that you are being heard and not judged. And I, I do feel like you make such a specific effort with that, both in person and in the book, that, yeah. that you really know yourself in a way that I think it could take a lifetime for someone else to, to, to figure all of their ins and outs out. Well, we're, we're all on our own journeys. You know, I mean, we're all on different paths. Um, but, you know, one thing that I think is true is that um, I, I very much want people to be okay. I very, very much want people to be okay and to feel okay. Um, that's a huge intention of mine. And I know for a fact that we're never going to be okay if we can't talk about what hurts. And we're not going to talk about what hurts if we don't feel safe. Like, that's what I know. Absolutely. And you grew up, I mean, you, you document this so well that intergenerational trauma and anxiety and shame were a huge part of your life. And Mm -hmm. your grandma told you that demons will try to trick you and get you off your path. Um, Yes, Yes, she did. And yet she was the most loving and wonderful woman. And- Yes, she was. (laughs) How do you reckon with those different points, with that point of view? I think just by choosing to live in reality. (laughs) um, I, I mean, I don't really know how to say like, because the reality is, that all those things are true. It's true that my grandma was weirdly obsessed with things like weight and appearance. It's true that my grandma, you know, gave me a girdle for Christmas one year. Do you know what I mean? Like that was her Christmas present to me was a girdle. Like she does stuff like that. She says stuff like that. My grandma told me when I was a kid, when I was, she found me playing hide and seek in the laundry room, that I shouldn't do that anymore because if a drop of bleach got on my skin, my whole body would turn inside out. Oh my God, like, that's yeah. terrifying. <laughs> right? But this is also the person who taught me how to read mm-hmm. and bought me my first books. This is also the person who, you know, I would sit on her lap and we would play a game where she would say, I'm going to the store to get strawberries. And then I would give her a kiss and then she would say, oh, those are the sweetest strawberries in the world. The best I've ever tasted. You know what I mean? Like all of those, that's reality. The reality is that she was all of those things at the same time. Some of it I loved, all of it I loved because it all made up who she was. So I loved her even when I didn't like the things she said or the choices that she made. I loved her. And I felt like especially towards the end of her life, we had the kind of relationship where I could say to her, grandma, I don't like that. I don't like it when you say that to me. 
I don't like it when you talk to me that way. And she might get defensive and she might get kind of puffed up for a second, but you know what? She would walk into whatever room she'd left 10 to 15 minutes later to look at me and say, well, I didn't mean it that way. And I'm sorry that I hurt your feelings. And it would still be rough, but that was her best shot at giving me the apology that I deserved. So all of those things exist at once. So I'm, I'll be here in reality. I don't, I don't need a delusion. I don't need an imaginary grandma. I'll take the one I got. <laughs> and, and, and you do talk about apologies in your book and who, who you get them from, who, who you feel justified um, about getting them from. Yeah. Have you, have, have you received more apologies? Have you, or have you apologized? Have you learned how to accept the non-apologies? Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, like all of those things are true. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've given more apologies. I've been given more apologies. I, I, you know, I'm a better apologizer, much better now than I used to be. Um, you know, the apology thing for me is not, and, and isn't really about like somebody actually saying, I'm sorry. It's about an acknowledgement of the pain experienced by the person, you know what I mean? Yeah. Who has been harmed, um, in some cases me, in some cases somebody else. Um, I think that's where all apologies begin. And so it is really rough as a young person, as a child, um, to be told, you know, we apologize when we do the wrong thing. We apologize when we're hurt, apologize when we hurt someone and we did mean it, or if we didn't mean it, whatever it was, we apologize for hurting. And to realize that when it comes to a parent-child relationship, um, and really most adults feel like they should not have to ever apologize to children. Mm -hmm. It's a very strange thing. But you realize that something is wrong in that dynamic because you know that you have been hurt and harmed and you are having that experience denied by a person who not only knows better than that, <laughs> you know, and you know that they know better than that, but they also have control and authority over you. That is a terrifying place to realize that you're in. It's, it's terrifying. You might still play with your toys the next day. You might still, you know, like go to sleep and wake up and have breakfast and everything seems normal, but something has changed inside of you. Something has shifted um, and you understand that your place is not about who you are um, or what you've done. It's about the arbitrary rules and reactions of adults. Yeah. That's yeah. terrifying. It's scary. Towards the end of the book, your mother says, make sure you write about the happy times. And it's, I mean, as a reader, I feel like you do. And there's so much joy in this book. How, do, how does your family feel? Um, my sister just read it. Um, like just read it and reached out to me yesterday and she loved it 
you know, and loves me still, <laughs> which is all I needed. Um, one of my brothers has it for sure. My other brother, I don't know if he has it um, yet, but I know that his, I know that his boyfriend ordered it. Um, so I know that they'll have that soon. Um, my dad is waiting for me to give it to him myself. Love that. <laughs> that oh. is very important to him. So that's going to happen soon. Um, there's a good chance my mom won't read it. There's a good chance she'll never read it. Um, and that she won't really acknowledge its existence. And... Uh, I know that to some people that sounds like really harsh or, or like maybe mean or unsupportive, but I, I honestly think it's just her doing what she has to do for herself um, or what she believes she has to do for herself. And I can't begrudge her that. I'm okay with that. You know, I didn't write this book hoping she would read it. I didn't write this book thinking that it would like solve or save anything. Um, I wrote it to remember who I am. And so, and also hopefully to remind some other people that they're allowed to know who they are too. That's pretty much it. Ashley, thank you so much. Um, before we go, yeah. books you'd like to recommend? I do have some books I'd like to recommend. I would like to recommend How the Word is Passed um, by Clint Smith. I would also like to, to recommend um, a book called Adult Children of Emotionally Immature Parents by Dr. Lindsay Gibson. Um, that is a fantastic book. And then there was one more that I'm blanking. Oh, yes, yes. Also, Anna Sales' Let's Talk About Hard Things, um, I think is a really fantastic book that people should check out. And I'm always recommending Pachinko. <laughs> everybody read Pachinko. It's so everybody good. read Pachinko and everybody read Somebody's Daughter, a memoir by Ashley C. Ford. This was such a pleasure. Thank you, Ashley. Thank you, Maris. The pleasure's mine. Thank you for listening to the Maris Review and check the show notes for the books we discussed on here today. And please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.